Sustainable Hour. For a green, clean, sustainable Geelong, the Sustainable Hour. Good morning, listeners. Uh, we'd like to acknowledge that we're broadcasting from the land of the Wathaurong people. We pay tribute to their elders past, present and those to come. We hope that we can learn to nurture the land half as well as they did for thousands of years. And finally, we acknowledge the great work that One Fire is doing in Geelong for reconciliation. We are freezing and one of my kids is home today uh, you know, coughing and we really feel the cold. But while we are feeling cold, over a billion people around the world right now are struggling to stay cool, as they say. And that's actually the headline from Reuters. Over a billion people struggle to stay cool as Earth warms. And we're seeing, you know, you can't open the news in, in the evening. We're seeing in Japan, heavy rains, 200 people dying in Canada, 70 people killed in Canada because of the heat. Mm. And it goes on and on. We are seeing climate change rolling out in front of our eyes. We have talked a lot about climate change in this program. And, surprise, surprise, we will be talking even more about it today. First of all, welcome to Colin Market. Colin, you are the man with the global outlook. Have you noticed what's going on in the world at the moment? Good morning, Mick. And yes, look, I've got the, uh, the figures, if you like. We know that the, there have been meetings with the Paris Accord, the Rio Accord. There have been meetings where each nation has signed up for targets to try and reduce their um, CO2 emissions. I've just got a little report in front of me which tells us that globally uh, we are now 22% of global electricity generation is done via renewable, 22%. But that means that there are some that are really good and some that are below. Some are, some are poor, some are, some are better. The better ones is um, Iceland, for example. 100% of its um, of its electricity is generated from natural resources. Sweden, 57%. Germany, 42%. Uh, uh, sorry, that's Denmark, 42%. You can take a, a little bit of pride there. Uh, Germany is 35%. And Switzerland has 60%. Uh, most of these, of course, use hydroelectricity. Um, I should point out that Australia, 6%. Um, and we're still talking about building new coal um, and new coal mines. It, the big problem, we, we keep saying every week, it comes down to the leadership that comes from government. And our government is quite clearly much more concerned with defending the coal industry than it is from actually hitting its targets that it's signed up for. Exactly. You know, I'm looking at this headline in The Guardian where it says, politicians are failing to rise to the challenge of climate change. That was here in July 2018. But you know what? Six years ago, here's a headline from The Guardian. It says, governments failing to avert catastrophic climate change, the International Energy Agency warns. Yep. Now, so that's six years. Can you hear any difference in these two headlines? No, there isn't one. Uh, I don't think there is another nation. I'll check this through and I'll let you know. I don't think there's another nation where, the, uh, if you like, the combating of climate change is being led by the people. And they're dragging their government. We're 
kicking and screaming and the government is saying, no, coal is good, waving about in Parliament and saying, look, this is good stuff, there's nothing wrong with it, it's not going to harm you. And But yet the people are putting solar panels on their roofs and the people are concerned about climate change and reducing their emissions. The government isn't. Actually, 8 out of 10 Australians are saying in poll after poll after poll, and actually globally, 8 out of 10 people are ready to act on climate. They want their governments to take action. They're ready to invest, spend money on it, yep. and the rest. Yep. So, it's pathetic. <laughs> what are we right. doing? 6%, you say? Yeah, 6% yes. is at the moment throughout Australia. Yeah, I, I so, uh, hear the only... The, the reason that's given in our media is that it's is the cost of it. There's no... Like a lot of other countries are talking about moral responsibility, uh, as global citizens they've got to do this, but in Australia it's all couched in terms of, well, if, if we don't keep digging up coal, power price is going to go up. That, that's what as the, if that matters, this, really, when you look at it. That's what this week was, was about. This is what yeah. they were saying this yeah. week with it's the, the ACCC. Yeah. They're saying, they're only talking about the cost. Uh, of course, we all know that had we uh, embraced renewable energy 10, 15 years ago when we first signed up to reduce our emissions, we would be getting much cheaper energy now. It's only because we're hanging on uh, uh, to the old methods. We're still using 19th century methods. Yeah. You know, that um, they burn coal in order to turn water into steam and the steam turns turbines. It's 19th century technology. Mm. And I would like, you know, we are the myth busters here in the Sustainable Hour. I'd like to take this myth up about that renewables are more expensive and the rest of it, as they, you say, and that be. coal is cheaper and so on. Here's a headline from the Clean Energy Council. Renewables lowering power prices for industry but more work required. Yeah. That's, that's the headline. Yeah. New analysis released by the Australian Industry Group says that major projects being built under Australia's renewable energy target are already helping to reduce bills for energy users across the country. And we are talking about several hundred dollars a year on a house bill, yep. you know, on one single household being saved, those who have stepped into the renewable space. Several hundred dollars to be saved. N not more expensive. Sorry. Hmm. That's a lie. Well, one of the real things that annoys me is that we don't have uh, an industry based around renewable energy. We are putting solar panels on our roofs. Those panels are made in China. They used to be made in Germany. Prior to that, they were made in Japan. Had we embraced it 20 years ago, we could have been manufacturing them ourselves. The same is true with the wind turbines. They're mostly made in Northern Europe and imported. They're shipped here. Um, it, it's quite sort of... Oh, no, we, we, having said that, we have got uh, a company down in Warrnambool that's making the aluminium the towers. Uh, towers, but the working bits... And the they are government, hiring at the moment. Yeah. You know, they're taking 50 yeah. new people in, yep. luckily. Yeah. So it's not all bad. No. Things are happening. Oh, yeah, but again, it's ha happening despite our government rather than because of it. Yeah. Okay, that's my report for yeah. the week. <laughs> well, we had, we had Lisa Neville on, well, you're well aware. I was Colin, here, yes. And she was saying, speaking about, um, and, and rightly, just saying how much Victoria's doing, but I tried to make the point about the bar wasn't all that high. No. That, so it's, it's kind of... They're doing stuff, but it's not. And I, I tried to make the analogy of uh, my teaching days when there was a kid who wasn't working to his potential. He might have still been top of the class, and that, that's the point I was trying to make. Yeah. Victoria's going well, but it, you keep pushing, keep it, pushing. 
to, to do more because that's you, what we need. If you remember when we first signed the accord, we negotiated it down. We negotiated our target yeah. down before we yeah. signed for it and we can't even meet that. Yeah. And because um, of that, we now face a climate emergency. There's no, no disputing that. But we yeah. have good news also in the, in the, you know, the research. Jeffrey Sachs, he's a world-renowned economist. He knows about the economy of this world. And he says, we are in the final stages of the political economy battle, where corrupted politicians, twisted by the interests of big oil and big coal, are still resisting. And then he talks about you know, the movements that are going to break that hammerlock of the industry and enable, as he says, humanity to save itself. Mm. And speaking of humanity saving itself, there is a political party in this country called Save the Planet. We'll talk about them in about... Two minutes, because I think we should hear what Jeffrey Sachs has to say. He says it very, very clearly. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is a world-renowned economist. He's not an environmentalist. He's not a tree hogger. He has been advising American presidents. Jeffrey Sachs. Mm. Oil drives you crazy. Oil corrupts politics. Oil buys politicians. Some scientists are indicating we should make plans to adapt to a four-degree hotter world. While prudent, one wonders what portion of the population could adapt to such a world. My view is that it's just a few thousand people seeking refuge in the Arctic or Antarctica. Business as usual means about four degrees warmer, which is approximately one ice age in the opposite direction. So this is really, really huge. And I need to stress this, that the Paris Agreement is not a walk in the park. It is half an ice age in the other direction. One example that Martin raised in terms of sea level rise, based on today's temperatures, we are going to hit two meters of sea level rise, no matter what. Half a billion people are affected in India alone. Most of Europe will ex experience about four degrees of warming by the end of the century, which is pretty disastrous. 2017 was a record high for fossil fuel CO2 emissions. We have to move to decarbonizing the world energy system. And that means a lot of the known fossil research needs to stay in the ground. We really need deep sustained cuts right now. Previous speakers have made clear that we're coming into a very difficult time. We are in a race against time. It takes a double whammy to understand. It takes repeated shocks. Governments and the media simply cannot say that they did not know. What the hell are they thinking? We don't have time to speculate. We don't have time is absolutely correct. As we know, we don't have time. There's no more time. Yes, we don't have time. We use the hashtag. We don't have time. We don't have much time. We don't have time to wait. We don't have time, but we do have a way. This is the heroes on the ground. It is very simple, but it uh, continues to change lives uh, every day. So he came back to Stockholm and he was devastated by all the trash he saw. So while I start picking trash while running. We have created the widest range of green burgers in the industry. We will carbon compensate every email being sent. Pope Francis made an urgent call to protect the people on Earth least responsible for climate change. We need a global movement that demands real change. It will not happen by itself. It's our ethical responsibility. We need clever policy frameworks. Lead by example to solve the climate crisis. 
there are not technological or economic barriers. We're going to make it, but we're in the final stages of the political economy battle, where corrupted politicians twisted by the interests of big oil are still resisting. It is the movements like we don't have time that will break the hammerlock of the oil industry and enable humanity to save itself. And that is the cue line. Humanity will save itself, certainly if it's up to the party, which is called Save the Planet. Welcome to the studio, Adrian Whitehead, who is a bit of a veteran when it comes to taking climate action. You have been with this movement for almost 30 years, as far as I can tell, because you told me that you started in 89 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it might, Welcome might. to the Sustainable Thank you, thank you. I'm very happy to be here. It's great. Thank you. So it goes almost 30 years back that you have been talking about this issue, similar to, for instance, Bill McKibben in America, who also started back in the 80s. Those were the days when CSIRO and the government, everyone was, you know, there were conferences and reports, and everyone at that time seemed to be in agreement that this is a serious problem, we need to deal with it. And they were, there was a consensus around cutting emissions with 20% until 2005. That was back in 1988. Yeah, yeah. And then you what happened, Adrian? John, John Hewson or something was going to do Adrian, that. Adrian, you were there. Party. What happened? The rest oh, of us were either too young or we were asleep. Look, my, my memory was there was, this, there was this environmental bubble going on of energy that was going around at the time. And there was all sorts of things going. It was, it was responding to climate change. It was, um, you know, the forest movement was getting some winds. There was recycling kicking in. And just something, just somehow they managed to transition it away from that sort of positive energy. I mean, people stopped smoking, not because they, they were worried. It was sort of, it was because there was a positive future for all. It was quite amazing. Like you go to a pub and there was, there was like two people smoking out of, out of a couple of hundred or something like that. So, you know, it so was. So you're saying they didn't stop because of the threat of cancer. They stopped because no, of something positive. Yeah, there was this positivism that just led to this sort of amazing, around environmentalism, around a positive future. And, and it was just something, it just drifted away somehow. I cannot actually answer that question. I've thought about it for many years. And even now, like comparing where we are on climate change, uh, to back to 2007. You know, 2007 we had ALP candidates in, in the seat of Melbourne producing full double-sided A4 um, pieces of paper just on climate change, it's down to a, a paragraph, you know, in a in a in a document from a, a mm. candidate in you know in Batman, for instance. And not so even mentioned now that we have yet another state election coming, and th- there's absolutely not this, a single time is the word climate change mentioned. Yeah, it's pretty scary in, in a way. Yeah, in, yeah, yeah, in yeah. Already yeah. in what what's coming now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. So so, but hey, back to 2007. Yeah, yeah. These were the days when Al Gore came out with that film. Yep. And I think that's the time when most of us began to realize, that's 10 years ago. Yep. We began, you know, our eyes opened and we understood, oh, there's something called climate change. We better act on this. Yep. So a whole decade has gone yes. since then. You know, there was Copenhagen in 2009. I remember that clearly. 30,000 people came almost, you know, uh, 200 meters away from where I lived. And I was looking at all that, all these banners and, and yeah, demos yeah. and police. And, and, and I was thinking, oh, my God, that's a lot of havoc. But I was sure they were going to make an agreement and fix it. Because yep. we're not suicidal as a race, are we? You know, as the human I, race. I don't know about, look, no. I, I, I went to the Bali, Bali Climate Conference. And at the end of it, 
I was sitting with uh, Indigenous... When was that? That's uh, that was, even longer. I think it's 2007, 2008, right? So it was around that time. And it was, you know, at the very end of it, as it shut down, I was sitting uh, on a table just with, with uh, Indigenous people from Kiribati, Tuvalu, the Cataract Islands, and we were sort of laughing and crying how 10,000 people had come together to discuss goals and targets that had nothing to do with saving any of those islands. They're just not going to save them. And... Not only that, they weren't even going to save themselves. So the the ability of people to be self-deluding in, in the face of this crisis is, is almost beyond belief. Yeah. And so it's it's hard. And so we've I've been campaigning on climate change. I was a forest campaigner when I started. I've been campaigning on climate change since 2003. And what stood out to me, 2003 was the, the, the big European heat wave. So I think they, they estimate now about 70,000 people died from that event. Um We'd had the, the, the coral bleaching events in, in 97 and, and I just went, wow, like if this is, I thought, wow, if this is the start of global warming, like what we were taught at uni in the early, in the sort of late 80s was that sort of, you know, this sort of stuff would be happening in 100 years time, you know, I mean, 50 years time, 100 years time, halfway through the century. And then there it was in 97, there it was in 2003 and I just went, it's here, it's, it's here right now. And if this is happening already, yeah. It's already unacceptable. And that's but it's already unacceptable at that level. What we don't get level. is that yeah. these lines, these graphs that we see with temperatures and the rest of it, that we think they're linear. But hey, there's something called exponential curves, yeah, where yeah. it takes a long time. They go a little, 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 and, and then this. suddenly yeah, yeah. they rise like that. And that's what we're seeing, isn't it, with temperatures? Certainly, if we zoom out and see it in a 10,000-year perspective, yep. the curve just looks amazing. Yeah, well, negative scary. Way. Yeah, yeah, scary. scary. Yeah, how it's going up. Yes. And, and, and again and again, historically, we don't even have an analogue for it. Like, we're faster than any time, as, we, as far as we understand, in the history of the Earth in terms of the rate of change that we're, we're so doing now. So we can't can, even look back millions of years and know what's happened. So yeah, We need to talk about what do we do about it, because you've been in this space for so long. I want to hear some solutions. I want to hear something that we can take with us when this sustainable hour is, is so, over. So, so where, where we've had... a Big win. Well, we think it's a big win. We've been working to save the planet, oh, that's about since 2013 now, and and before that, beyond zero emissions, various other projects. But the idea was get political, get active, get out there, door knock, leaflet, get as much of awareness around what we call the climate emergency, a safe climate. Be honest, be honest about the threat, be honest about the solutions. And we know that people, if you say we've got a serious threat and you give them weak solutions, people turn off. Right, so we know we've got to be on, and if you don't tell them it's serious, they're not going to care. It's, it's that simple. They're going to be more worried about their whatever, going to the movies or having a drink or paying off the house or whatever's concerning them. So we campaigned on that, but we, we worked out. We got to a point where we realised the it was almost going backwards. It did go backwards from state and federal government. It was like when Rudd failed to implement the trading scheme, the ETS, and said, let it go took this bubble out of mm. the whole movement like it's just like bang and and people on the left and it's like it just dis- dissipated this energy and we haven't recovered from that yet we're, n- we're not back to that energy levels yet but we went what we thought we thought well we're not going to get anywhere at state we're not getting anywhere at federal and why not focus on local government so we ran at local government we ran at state we ran at federal all the time exposing our local communities where we ran to those issues and where I live, which is Darabin, which covers state seats like Northcote, Preston, Federal Seat of Batman, which I think's changed its name 
some some point soon, Cooper or something. Um, we basically succeeded in, in, in creating an educated population. And then at the last local government election, myself and Bryony, Bryony Edwards ran uh, for Save the Planet. And what happened, we said to the other candidates, we said, look, you know, this is a climate emergency. Uh, our kids' futures at stake. The ecology is at stake. We believe in maximum protection for human and non-human life. We hope you do. This is what we think a council can do. This is the context for a council of how, why a council can play in this space. And um, the elections happened, a progressive majority won, uh, four Greens, few independents, ex-Labor sort of thing. We got a progressive majority and we went back to those same candidates and we said, would you like to do it? And Stephanie was the first person I spoke to a Greens candidate and she said yes. And after years of people saying no, I almost fell off my seat. Philip Sutton cried, you know, there was, it, was, it was fantastic. And since then we've been working to get a climate emergency response at local government. And there's an advisory committee. There's the first paid climate emergency staff member, Tiffany Harrison, who's a, a former Save the Planet campaigner, yep. worked up in Byron Bay on Zero Emissions Byron, has come back to basically to do this role. Um, and so we've got a climate emergency response for the first time rolling out at a government level. And doing that at Darabin... Um, Philip Sutton's another person we work with. You, you would have probably spoken to Philip here, or, yep, or at have. least know him. And he he works with the American movement um, called Climate Mobilization. Americans were obviously a bit depressed because um, you know Trump got elected, and they were pretty much wrong-footed, a bit of a loss what to do. And he said, "Look, we're working on this local government campaign. Why don't you guys emulate? You got quite powerful local governments there." Didn't get into it, but once Darabin had declared the climate emergency, announced it at the very first meeting of council in 2016, once we got a climate emergency plan, they said, oh, yeah, this is a thing. We can do this. And Los Angeles, a couple of other councils have actually followed suit. Yep. Yeah. And and so we're, we're getting a momentum and, a, and, a, and, and an actual real change now. We were excited yeah. here in the Sustainable Outdoor announced when Montgomery County in America not only declared a climate emergency, but in the same breath also made some targets. So they are going to hit 80% renewables, not just for their own operations in council, but for the entire community there by, I think it was 2028. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then down to zero by uh, 2035. Yeah. So not waiting those extra 50 years. No, no, years we, don't, we, we don't have that time, though. That's the point. So, yeah, we've got to do it right now, and we've got to do it fast and hard. So what you're saying is, worldwide, we yep. have a few councils now that yep. have taken that next step of saying this is an emergency and we're going to act on it. Yes. Then what? Then what? Well, what we've got to do is get more councils. So it's, so we've got Darabin in Melbourne. Um, a couple of things. Well, Darabin's rolling out its response, so that's an ongoing process, and we're, we're getting there. But we need to start getting other councils to do the same because once that communication starts pumping out from Darabin, once we start seeing the conversation with the community, once the community, we start reaching out to the ethnic groups, the churches, etc., through the council, through the newsletters, through the website, through um, volunteers working hand-in-hand -hand with council from the community to get a combined yeah. approach, I think the climate emergency message will be unstoppable. No, definitely, yeah. absolutely. You can just see the excitement in your eyes, Adrian. I'm looking through, peering through the, here, and and it is. And I think we've got to say, City of Greater Geelong, when is it going to happen here? Yeah, exactly. Like Geelong, just, Geelong, Surf Coast, etc., yeah. etc. Et yeah, it's and we've got Banyol, uh The Transition Town Movement in Banyol is taking this head on. Already got their first motion through council. It's not a climate emergency declaration, but it's an acknowledgement that some people think yeah. there's a climate emergency. Yeah, so, it's, you know, it, it's not. Yeah. A, we've got to be clear here. It's not just a matter of declaring. What follows after that? Yeah. What, so what, what follows? So what a council can do, 
Now, councils will not have the money to roll out a climate emergency response, right, in Australia, in the Australian context anyway. So what the councils can do, they can pick a few uh, intelligent, iconic projects, such as Darabin has a solar saver project. They borrow $20 million. That money is basically loaned to poor members of the community, low-income families, etc. They buy solar panels. They save money. Some of the money they save gets paid back through rates and creates a rolling fund. For example, that's an excellent thing, as well as energy efficiency, that sort of stuff, community gardens, all sorts of things you could do, right? Mm. So we need a number of iconic projects to say, here's some things we're actually doing. We've, we, need, we need to educate the public, and we need to get the public fired up and involved and demanding action from state and federal governments yeah. to fork up with the money that we actually need to do this pop. And there's no process. trouble, no trouble finding uh, informed volunteers to do that to help to yeah. go hand in hand. In fact, yeah. they would they'd be leading a lot of the the councils. Yeah, and look, and a, and a lot of councils have got programs that fit right into a climate emergency mm. response. It's just it's a question of scale, speed, and urgency, really. Yeah. So it's about bringing those, at least creating the opportunity for those 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 programs to come up. But in particular, what we want is messaging. We want we want the council. Just like our council acknowledges um, their support for refugees, we want our council to acknowledge that we're in a climate emergency. Public banners, signs on the entry to yeah. the council, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And if more and more councils do it, then we create a critical mass. And the thing yeah. then it starts getting ridiculously embarrassing for state and federal politicians. Yeah. State, do, yeah. state, the state government can't rely on the feds being so slack as they, you know, they're standing up there saying, look at us, look at us, when they're not doing, they're not, they're not acting as if it's a climate emergency themselves. True, true. And, yeah. that's, and they're using the complete failure of the federal government's response to yeah. justify an inadequate yeah. response on their behalf. Yeah. So it's, which is not, you know, it, when we get back down to it is what do we want to do? Like really at the moment it yeah. is an emergency and we want to save our children's future. That's yeah. what it's down to. And it, people, you know, when politicians look back, whatever excuse they think they have had for not acting, whatever debt they owed or whose whose money pocket was in their, their money was in their pocket, whichever faction they had an allegiance to, they will look back and it will seem trivial and pathetic, and they will not forgive themselves no. when they look back on these, this no. time now, because we are now past the time that you can deny that it's a climate emergency. Like, yeah. it's just beyond that time. And more than yeah. a climate emergency, it's a climate crime. Yeah, it is a climate crime. I, yeah. I, I, I regularly do little memes that say another, another cl a climate, cr another, a crime against humanity. And yeah, that's ecocide. Yeah, ecocide. It's, it's ecocide. So, I mean, you cannot get, you cannot undertake an action that is more detrimental than attacking your own planetary sustainable ecological systems that support the humanity, our humanity and everything else mm, that goes yeah. along with the it. The biosphere. The biosphere, exactly. The, and you the, cannot commit a worse crime. And the fact yeah. that that is what's called a global commons, which yes. means that everybody has a right to have clean air, clean water, yes. and these can, the kind of things. And the worst part of climate change is that where it really hits hard is in the poorest areas of the world. It's yeah. in Africa, in Bangladesh, and places where millions of people are vulnerable. Yes. And it's only because Japan, for instance, is a relatively wealthy country that they can actually respond to the huge flooding event in the way that they did. Now, if, if that was in another country, there would be tens of thousands of people probably dead or dead soon from that event. So, you know, whereas Japan has the resources. But at some point, if we let this go on, 
the uh, our ability to respond, uh, 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 surplus capital, uh, 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 actual physical resources to respond, get worn down and down and less and less. So, and we all go down with it. Yeah, there is a line, isn't there? Yeah. And I think it's like Russian roulette, but all there's bullets in every chamber. That's what's that's what's really happening. We, I guess, the, our decision makers are saying, "Well, it hasn't happened yet here, so let's let's just and uh, the sell some more coal." But yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but the thing is, it has. You it know, doesn't like make the, sense. the Queensland floods, I think, were yeah, twenty-six yeah. billion dollars in costs. Now, yeah, if you know, you can tackle this as an economic rationalist and just say, if you put the price of global warming onto the price of coal, fossil fuel, yeah. Steak and cheap. steak, lamb and dairy, the other yeah. big ones, forestry, you know, de- deforestation, the whole lot. You put that price onto yep. those products, guess what becomes cheaper? Yeah. On standard economics, it's, it's the renewables that stand out. It's, yeah. you, you no longer eat steak. You know, it, it's simple yeah. as that. You put the price on, and, and that's where we know it's a scam because they don't. And it's about protecting corporate interests that have got control mm. of our political interests. We, we must it, yeah. be at some sort of a tipping point because, I mean, if you look at the, the polls that I mentioned earlier where 8 out of 10 Australians are, are saying that they want to take action on this, why don't we then vote accordingly? That's the last thing missing, that we're not voting for, for instance, your party. Yeah, well, look, yeah, well, one, one it's a simple matter of resources for us, you know, so it's, it's a, we're a self-funded volunteer-based organisation and we can't compete with the, you know, sort of two hundred to 300000 that the Greens would spend in our own seat, you know, so we get swamped. But the, the other reality is that people, I think there's a huge, there's the hard denial of the coal industry and those sort of lobbies, and there's what Bryony, Bryony Edwards, um, my partner and, and Case Save the Planet campaigner, describes as the general response of the environment movement and the progressive NGO movement, where they talk about climate change, but they don't talk about the emergency. They don't talk about the scale and urgency of the reactions that they want. They still have, some of them still have targets around 2050. It's, just, it's literally suicidal. It's suicide for their objectives that they stand up for, whether it's the environment or people or, 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 or refugees or whatever. And so it's not being honest to their own organisation and it's, it's, it's dishonest for everyone else, including their children, you know. So why they maintain this? And I think there's just this, you know, I think people are pretty tribal and, and we just haven't, people have just got to break out of this self-delusion that is occurring around global warming. And the first step yeah. to do that, I think, is to know that you are definitely not alone. I mean, listen here, mm-hmm. I'll just play for you a little YouTube clip. It's produced by the state government. And it's based on that they had called out to 3,000 people and asked their opinion, both in city and countryside and everywhere, all sorts of demographics and geographics here in the state of Victoria. And this is what they said. Victorians think that less than half of the population is concerned about climate change. But in fact, research shows that it's actually four out of five of us who are concerned about climate change and how it will affect future generations. As for our youth, concern is even higher. 15 to 17 year olds ranked climate change as the second most important issue. Across the state, climate change is seen as an issue that needs urgent attention. And most of us want to see more being done. If you want to know more about what your fellow Victorians really think about climate change, go to the Sustainability Victoria website and download the full report. While you're there, why not pledge to take two and join the global pledge to act on climate change together?
the Sustainable Hour. For a green, clean, sustainable Geelong, the Sustainable Hour. In the sustainable month of plastic-free July. And, uh, well, boys, how is it going with your plastic-freeness? I can say for my part, I must admit that we're still getting plastic in every time we buy meat and things like that. But we are very much aware of that it's a plastic-free month. And one thing we're doing more actively is we're picking up plastic in the streets. So when the, the routes that we go, for instance, when I take my kids to school, are at the moment plastic-free. That's a joy, actually. Yeah. You yeah. know, having made that step where you say, I'm not just going to look at it, I'm going to pick it up. Yeah. The, where I struggle, I think, is, is or has been with yogurt, so maybe I've got to look at making some. <laughs> so it's hard well, to get you can yogurt. Recycle, I'm recycling the, those yogurt things there that, the, the, that it comes in, you know, the containers. That's the, so that's where a vegan diet kicks in there, because yes. you're just going with a, you can go with a cardboard box and fill yeah. it up, and yeah. that, with the veggies off the, the, the greengrocer shelves, and bang, you're there, yeah. no plastic. But, <laughs> um, I always used to do, uh, when I was bushwalking, go and have a separate bag on my hip that we'd, we'd pick up the rubbish of fellow bushwalkers, you know, as we go along. You usually come back with quite a big bag. Yeah, but, you know, that's, you know, I find that nice really sad, that people that really en- enjoy being out in nature would do that. Yeah, it's amazing. Like there was, yeah. I remember once we were following someone who was eating those single wrap uh, chewing gum things. It was like, you know, it was like the good and the bad, the ugly, where you get, you feel you're getting closer and closer. You find that cigar half lit, and you go, yeah. oh, but we didn't get them. Yeah. The, other, the other thing we do is we clean up the uh, the parks because, like, let's face it, my council's not doing it that much. So we, we if you keep your parks clean, everyone treats yeah. it better. And now right. we've yeah. got a, our yeah. next guest is someone who's right across all this, and she can give us lots of advice. So we've got Rebecca. Prince Ruiz. How did I go with the pronunciation, Rebecca? Very well. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Now, you started off Plastic Free July, is that right? That's correct. And I'm tipping that you've been a bit busy over the last weeks, few weeks. Yeah, look, absolutely, absolutely. It's, it's really caught on. It's a national movement. Is it bigger than national? Is it also global? Yes, it is also global. So last year we had from 159 countries around the No kidding. Wow. Congratulations with starting mm. something like that. Tell us a little bit, just the, what's the story? How long ago was it when you got the idea? How did you get the idea? Well, to be honest, when I, when I decided to, do, to, to first take this on, I didn't start it out to become a, 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 a global movement. I just set out to change my own behaviour. Um, and some of the choices that my family made. So I was working in for a local government and working as a waste educator. And for me, the, the decision came after visiting a recycling facility. So this is where our, most, I think most of, of your listeners would have a yellow lidded recycling bin. So that's where that goes to get sorted uh, into the different materials of paper, plastic, metal and glass and then bailed up and shipped off to where they're going to get recycled and and that was a real awakening moment for me, just seeing how much we produce waste we produce and the complex processes to recycle it and then there's particular problems challenges around plastics recycling so I decided I was going to try and avoid it for the next month, which just happened to be mm-hmm. July, obviously not all plastics, just single-use disposable plastics, and the rest, as they say, is history. How long ago was that? So that was back in 2011. So I um, 
went to work the next day and I asked my colleagues if they wanted to join in. I had two colleagues and, and about 30 or five of our volunteers. So there were about 40 of us and all that did it. And it, and it really grew from there. And, and I think it's because, you know, we, we have this growing problem of plastic waste and, and particularly litter in our environment and our, uh, like you just mentioned, on your walk to school, which, you know, and, and our beaches and our oceans. And people are really concerned about it. And what plastic free does, plastic free slide does is gives people something to do with those concerns. Um, so it grew from 40 people to 400 people to 4,000 people and it's just grown really exponentially. Must be in the millions now. Yeah, my current, um, our current estimates are 3.3 million people. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good to hear that these things are possible and to hear how it can grow from three people and then upwards. This is really the, the it's exciting. Um, it, and it is really exciting, yeah. Have you seen the Swedes who are actually turning it into a sport that they run and pick up plastic at the same time? Yeah. Isn't that great? I've, I've heard of that. I think they call it plogging. Exactly. And, um, I was just, um, just reading a story of a, um, a young Indian woman in New Delhi that I met last year who's been doing Plastic Free July and has started doing it in New Delhi, you know, like this. I love hearing these stories yeah. of these people that are... Thinking globally, uh, you know, this plastic pollution is a global issue, but they're acting locally. But then what we do through through the um, the social media and, and, and the internet, our actions not only make a difference in our own lives and our own communities, but they inspire others. Yeah. And that's why we're seeing this rapid change. Yeah. Rebecca, you would have seen what a lot of uh, people are doing in Asian countries, that the putting soft plastic inside a plastic bottle and actually using it to build furniture and houses in some cases and um, that's a kind of a, a, a to me an ingenious way of handling two problems hmm. and building roads with plastic yeah. now what's the goal in a way where are you heading what's your ambition with this is it to get a real ban on plastic or, or what's the what's the future well look so recently as i said i mentioned earlier i said it started plastic free to life in the local government, but it quickly spread beyond our boundaries. So I've just largely been running it as a as a volunteer, and and at the end of last year, we actually made it its own independent, not for profit foundation. So we're it's a registered charity, and our vision is a world without plastic waste. So it's not that plastic in and of itself is a problem; it's the way that we're using it, and and largely and the, the fact that, that we don't have the waste management systems to deal with it. So, you know, if if our if our recycling levels matched our production levels, then I would be very happy. But it's this we have a very, very large increasing gap between what we produce and what is being recycled. So it's that plastic waste issue in our landfills and out the plastic litter issue in our environment that concerns us. So I don't think we need to ban plastic. It has certainly, you know, changed and, and, and enabled great advances in our medical systems and our transport systems. But this material is designed to last forever. We just cannot keep using it on items that we use for a few minutes or a few seconds and then throw away. So we need to be much more clever and thoughtful about how we use it and, and, um, 
and that's certainly the, the goal of the, the challenge and the foundation is to um, is to 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 create this world without plastic waste, which is going to involve reducing our consumption, consuming it and using it in different ways, and increasing our recycling rates. And and there's there's no one silver bullet to do this. It's going to require some changes in policy, such as plastic bag bans, introducing container deposit schemes, having recycled content in our packaging and hmm. not just keep on using Putting some it. value on the plastic in a way, that it's not a throwaway thing. It's something you've paid for and therefore you take good care of it, as we do in a way with glass. And I, 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 I love the... Re- have you guys come across Replast, the, the plastic seats made from recycled mm. bags and things? Like, we, we got a whole lot for our school and they're fantastic. Like, they're... So, you know, we can use the stuff, and those seats, once they're made, I've, I've seen one that's like 30 years old or something like that. It's a fantastic mm. use of it. Mm. Now, next Wednesday, I just want to mention that here locally in Geelong, Geelong Sustainability is organizing a green drinks event, which is about plastic-free living. It's the end of the month, but that doesn't mean that we can't take in exactly what you're talking about, the inspiration of how we do things better. So there's a, a, like a, an expo, a fair with different people with ideas, having tables. You can go around and do a bit of inspirational shopping, uh, get ideas and so on. And that's all happening next Wednesday at 5.30 at Beef Spa in Little Manop Street here in Geelong. Thanks very much, Rebecca. We wish you all the best with, with your initiatives there. And we'll, we'll catch up down the track and uh, have a chat to you when, it, uh, when it's not in July. We promise that. Thanks very much for the chat and and, um, send me some photos of your event. Oh, yeah, and uh, we'll send you also the podcast link here so you can spread the interview uh, in social media, etc. That's important, and what a good story. It's so important that we understand that this is possible. It can happen that way, and it should happen that way. Fantastic. Absolutely. Thanks very much. No worries. Bye. Bye, Rebecca. Donald Trump, you're not my president, cause I'm not a citizen, just another immigrant, a permanent resident, stuck in the midst of it, rubbernecking as America, drove off a cliff, thinking I wish I could vote, but not the you though, hell no, I voted for Justin Trudeau, here's a couple things that I think you know, even if you act in public like you don't, climate change, you know that it's happening, know that its impact is already damaging, you said so, a permit you applied for, said the ocean's coming up on your Irish golf course, well here's Another place you might like to protect America It's likewise under threat Sea level rise Extreme weather events Infrastructure risk Is bad for business So I made a list To help you keep track And since you don't read I squeezed it in a wrap Would've put it in a tweet If I could achieve that The seaside's about to need an evac Erosion Of coastlines Riverbeds Of time left Only chance we're gonna get Erosion Of ice in the glaciers United Nations Isolation of faith in democracy, your face in the dictionary next to hypocrisy. Erosion, erosion, erosion. Mr. President, sticking your head in the sand is not principled. The rate of sea level rise in Florida tripled in one decade, and that's easy to count. It's back when Billy Bush and you were hanging around, demonstrating your scruples. And since those days, the tidal flooding in Miami Beach has quadrupled. And that's great for business if you sell water pumps, but not for local residents who voted Donald Trump. So what you gonna do now? Lose Mar-a-Lago or try to move it all to higher ground in Colorado? Some people try to tell me that you're all bravado, but I think you've got a calculation. 
Rolling under all in one oh, come on though What's Tampa supposed to do if another storm Floods the bay with raw sewage Is the EPA gonna stop the fluid spewing Not under Scott Pruitt, all he wants to do is sue it And what about common sense, national defense You got several naval bases under imminent threat It's not just the Gulf Coast, Hampton Roads About to have some of Virginia's dampest homes Erosion of waterfront property Insurance underwriters can't even make a profit Erosion of the public trust Coal burns filling up our lungs with dust Erosion of real estate values Seawater coming up to surround you Erosion, erosion, erosion Mr. President, erosion The fire season's out of control Losses have doubled since I was six years old With damage in the hundreds of millions We lost a whole town in Canada's wilderness You know Climate change is a factor, the Pentagon calls it a risk enhancer, so why do you act like you don't know, with every new quote that it's a huge hoax, I really do want to take the charitable view, basic ignorance, that's embarrassing for you, but it's not as bad as the uncharitable view, that you're funneling profits to fossil fuel, and getting kickbacks, there's a lot of gas to burn, and we don't know what you own, no tax return, all we know is, you got a lot of fossil fuel cronies in your cabinet, and Tillerson and Putin are homies, and those with the most to gain from the claim that climate change is a hoax or praying that you can delay the clean energy transition long enough to cash a few chips in erosion of journalistic standards we want answers not panders erosion of coastlines riverbeds of time left only chance we're gonna get erosion I think uh, this is exactly what it's about. Uh, for, for something to come across to Donald Trump, uh, you need to express it uh, in a sort of message as what can be fit in a tweet. And uh, certainly rap music is another way of communicating this. This was our peer-reviewed rapper Baba Brinkman, uh, the song he wrote to Donald Trump, which is called Erosion. That's about sea level rise and erosion yeah. at the coast. I just saw how Surf Coast has been eaten away by the waves. Did you notice? There is something happening. Not that this has not happened before, and I'm not saying that this specific thing happening to the surf coast is related to sea level rise, but it makes you think when you see erosion nowadays. I am, Mick. I'm saying it's related to it, plus the wind, which is so much stronger. So you get a combination of more water and, and um, there's a surge, so you're going to lose your coastline. You're listening to the Sustainable Hour, and in the studio we have Adrian Whitehead, who is uh, managing a party, a political party called Save the Planet. But apart from that, you have so many other hats on. We've talked about local council and how you have helped the Derbin Council with taking action on climate emergency. But I also have seen you as a, as a lecturer. You go out and hold presentations about many different things. You do biochar, of all things, yeah. which is something that brings smoke into the air, isn't it? Can uh, do, can do. You, you, you know, if you, you if you don't have it burning clean, you can create smoke and pollutants. So you know, always when you're burning something, you've got to be careful. Uh, if you're doing biochar in your backyard, there are methods where you use a basically a flame shield over your fire, and that keeps the oxygen from getting into the burning material. Hence, you get a charcoal out of it, and you turn that charcoal into a biochar. Um, but it also burns off the smoke. So you can be careful, but it can be done industrially. I've, yep. I've seen it done in Japan yeah. on an industrial it scale. It comes down to, well, that leads us to drawdown, which is yeah. which is what the climate emergency dictates, is that it's not enough to stop um, putting it up there. We've got to, we've got to work out ways of, of uh, drawing it down, so... Yeah, and look, and it, I really need to make it clear for the listeners, it, it's, we, we're, we're way past the time when taxes and trading schemes work. It's an emergency-led response. It is a 
government-led. We're closing these industries down at a, over 10 years and we're replacing them with alternatives. And mm. it's an emergency speed response. So the taxes and trading systems won't work anymore. And biochar is an option. And I've, mm. I've done a, a, a calculation looking at available biomass in Australia and we can draw down, according to my calculations, around 10% of our annual emissions every year using biochar. So we'll still need to find other systems such as yep. revegetating, allowing our log forests to recover, etc., yep. to, to get more drawdown. Regenerative down. farming? Yeah, exactly. Well, the problem with regenerative farming, some of it relies on, on cows. So we need some really good stats around what is the trade-off between the methane being released by the cow and the carbon being stuck in the ground using yep. the, the, the long rest, short rotation grazing. This so we, we need those figures. Yeah, they're doing that's And we, they're people are doing them, yeah. So we need, we, that needs to be rock solid. Now, if it comes out, it's a net, net negative, yeah. then uh, it can move ahead. Yeah. You know? Adrian, do you see yeah. the, the chance where Darabin Council can encourage some way a farmer that might be in the Western District or to like to put up some funds for them to draw down carbon to help with... Is that, is that a possibility? It's possible, but, you know, the, the pool of funding is very limited. So, you know, we're looking at doing a, a biochar project in Darabin and we're going to look at... It'll probably need a scale of several councils around us to do yep, it. So there's, yep. a, there's a natural alliance of councils in near Darabin that could potentially do it. And, you know, you'd want to... If you got some funding for the, the, the dollar value of the carbon you're sequestering in a sort of carbon price scheme, then it might make it economical. But the problem is you've got to make biochar economical. And at the current time, yeah, it's, it's relatively expensive for, for the, yeah. the, the tonnage. Now, some people, WA, etc., various spots are actually using it commercially and for the price, the, the honest price is getting made out with no subsidies and it's working economically for yeah. them in, 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 in horticulture and uh, animal agriculture. Okay, so you'd make the biochar, then what happens with it? So biochar, well, for instance, there's one, one guy using it for cows and he literally feeds it to the cows and it improves the cow's digestion, yep. reduces his feed cost, reduces their emissions, gets charged. So biochar itself needs what we call charging. So it's very, it attracts, it, it sucks up nutrients. So it needs to be charged with some sort of nutrients before you put it into the ground. Otherwise, it's going to drag out the nutrients from your plants and the, well, from the surrounding soil and suppress your plants for a little bit of time. So, you know, whether you're using treated sewage or urine or all sorts of things, or compost, you put in compost or a worm farm, then you put it back out there on the on, on your gardens or in agriculture. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of scope within Darabin Council, the, the, the actual physical limits of that to to work with that in yeah, well, backyards. I mean, we've got green bins that are collecting all of that organic matter. So the one, yeah. what, you know, for an urban council, for serious levels of drawdown, I mean, there's a really strong argument to plant trees. Melbourne City Council is going for 40% coverage, yep. and that's also to help reduce the heat island effect. So yep. just, you know, we had the big heat wave in um, 2009 that killed more, much more, you know, almost double the number of people than the, the fires, etc. So, um, yeah, so there's all that sort of stuff. Now, just... Before we go, like I'd just like to mention that the you know we're looking for people who are interested in in getting their councils to come on board with the climate emergency thing, and so hopefully maybe we'll we'll have a chat afterwards with the with the crew here and talk about getting something going in Geelong. But you know we've got Banyul going up in Melbourne. We're looking to start a Moreland campaign in the next couple of weeks, etc. Uh, Yarra, few Port Melbourne, there's various councils that might come on board and we're looking to get those campaigns going. We've got stuff happening in WA. There's a couple of interested people up in New South Wales, so. Caseonline.org is the website. Caseonline, C-A-C-E, online.org. And that's taking the politics, the whole aim there is to take the politics out of it and let's just do what 
needs to be done. And that brings us back to that headline that I read in the beginning of this hour where we, I read two headlines about that the, our politicians are failing us. You know, they're not rising to the challenge of climate change. And the thing is, when we point one finger at our politicians, then actually three fingers are pointing at ourselves. And it begins with that we as a population are not creating that sort of pressure and yeah. we're not showing interest. We have to. You know. yeah, yeah, so it really begins locally. Yes. It must. If you're spending more money on coffee or hairdressing than acting on climate change, take a good hard look at yourself. <laughs> Get a grip. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we can't blame our politicians. That's, that's my point. We need to take action ourselves. Yeah. So... Uh, Adrian Whitehead, who has been in this game for 30 years, yeah. this is a great advice, and I trust you on what you're saying. That you have thought a great deal about it. So thank you very much for sharing this with us, and let's take it to the next step. Let, let's do it. Thank and you very much. By, <laughs> let's do that by... Be the change. <laughs> Carbon apart 